0: Our text this morning, if you'd like to be turning there, is John chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 22 through 59. You'll find that if you're using one of our pew Bibles on page 891. You're just joining us. We're in a series on worship called Vital Worship. And we, we mean that in both senses of vital, that worship is something that we do that is vital for us. It is of the utmost importance. And worship is something that is meant to be vital for us, it is meant to be life-giving for us. And so uh, we've been going about this series on worship, talking about the elements of worship, of what we do week in and week out when we gather together in worship. So if you were to look at your order of worship and you'd see the elements of worship, the things we do, the call to worship, the uh, confession of sin, assurance of pardon, all those elements, that's what we're talking about each week to get a better handle on, on what we think we're doing when we come together in worship. And this week, we're talking about uh, the Lord's Supper. And as I was thinking about that this week and my, my own experience of that, uh, I, I realized when I was growing up, and I, I grew up in the church, and I can remember as a, as a child, I, I worshiped my family did in a church that uh, that celebrated the Lord's Supper once a week, as we do in this service. And I can remember as a kid coming in, and, and you, you come into the back of the church, and you could see the communion elements up front, and I thought, oh, no. <laughs> It is going to be a long service today. Like that, that's what the Lord's Supper represented to me. It represented a twelve and a half extra minutes stamped on at the end. And you know, growing up, I think I think I had that sort of uh, ambivalent attitude towards it. In fact, uh, much to my own shame, I'll say that you know that, that didn't really turn the corner for me until I was about thirty, and when I was in seminary when suddenly this started to just open up for me, and and I realized uh, it's a lot more than a few extra minutes tacked on at the end of the service, that it's actually meant to be a vital and integral part of what it means for us as God's people to gather and to worship. God has something for us here at this table, something profound. And from the very beginning of the church, even in the pages of the New Testament, we see God's church celebrating this together. So we're going to talk about that uh, today yeah, but we 're going to do that by, by means of looking at John chapter six and let me tell you on the front end, john chapter six we 're going to see this interaction between Jesus and a crowd of people who are coming after him and he he 's going to use language that 's going to remind you very strongly of the lord 's supper he 's not teaching directly on the lord 's Supper, but what we 're going to see is uh, as we take the supper and look back to this passage, we see that both the lord 's Supper and this passage both point us back to the same reality, which is Jesus for us. And as we see that play out in John six, it's going to shed light for us on what we do when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Uh, so let's let's pray together and then we'll read this text from John chapter six. Please pray with me. Father, we come together this morning before your word, and it is your word to us. Would you open our hearts that that we might hear you and would you open your word to us? Father, we thank You that You have not left us to guess who You are and how we might be in relationship with You. You have not left us uh, groping in the dark, but You have revealed Yourself to us in the pages of Scripture, and You drive it home to us by the power of Your Spirit. Would You do that for us even today? And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 6, beginning with verse 22, and Uh, we're picking up here in John chapter 6 right after Jesus has just fed the 5,000 on this hilltop in the wilderness. So he has just uh, played host to this enormous, miraculous meal. And now we pick up with the crowds as they come seeking him the next day. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. It's the word of the Lord, and it's given for our good and for His glory. As we said this morning, we're talking about the Lord's Supper, and we're coming here. There are many places in Scripture we could have gone to talk about this, but we're coming here to John chapter 6. And what we're going to see about the Lord's Supper today is simply this, that we come to the Lord's Supper, to the Lord's Table, to feed on Christ. And here in John 6, in this passage, we're going to see uh, illustrated for us the hunger that we have and the meal that we need. Okay, those two things. The hunger that we have and the meal... That we need. So first, the hunger that we have, and this is, we're going to see in verses 22 through 34 of this section. Again, the context is, you know, 5,000 men, and it, it does say men, so on top of that, all the women, children, and, and, and an enormous number of people were fed by Jesus the day before as they come and spend all day listening to him teach, and the disciples come to Jesus and they say, you know, we've got to send these people away so they can go get something to eat. Jesus looks at them and says, you give them something to eat. Uh, and they just sort of stare at him, like, how would we do that? And he says, let me show you. So then he takes these few loaves of bread and a couple fish, and he breaks them, and he feeds this enormous multitude. And as you might understand, uh, when, when you show up to hear a talk like that, and everyone is miraculously fed, you're going to get the attention of the people who come. And he did exactly that with this crowd. They, uh, earlier in the chapter, they say after this, they, they want to make him king by force, and Jesus has to uh, kind of slip out so that the, the mob doesn't come and try to make him king, the one who's going to feed them this bread. Well, uh, if, for those of you that are students, you know the same rule holds true on campus. The the one infallible rule, if you want somebody to attend a meeting on college campus, is serve food. If you serve food, people will come. And if you serve a lot of food, a lot of people will come, and they'll come back. Uh, because, you know, much like our today's average college student, you know, people in the first century, uh, you know, struggling with oftentimes, you know, on an agricultural society, food was a bigger deal than we take it to be sometimes. And when food shows up, you're going to be there. And that was the case uh, for these people. But what it brings out for us when we look at this, I think, is that we are not that different than these people. We are all hungry people. Okay, that's what drives these people to Jesus. They come looking for him because they are hungry. And we come with a variety of hungers. Okay, so let me ask you the uncomfortable question up front. What are you hungry for? What is the aching hole somewhere in your life that you are desperately trying to fill or possibly desperately trying to ignore? What are you hungry for? Because you are hungry for something. And maybe just a good picture of this. Um, you know what it's like, you know, if you've been in Williamsburg a long time, you've traveled to other places. You, you know what a mall is. You've, you've been to other cities that have malls. And you, you've, you've come into a mall, and you, you've gone to the food court, and, and you go in there, you walk into this, there's this enormous room with tables everywhere, and, and circling it are these dozens of, of little closet-sized restaurants, all of whom you know, serve 25 or 30 things on their menu, and so, you you know, you go with a group of people, your family or friends, and, and everybody scatters to go to one of these restaurants to get something to eat, and then they all come back together into one of these tables in the middle, and it sort of feels like you're having this meal together, except you're eating a thousand different things. You just all happen to be sitting in the same place, and that might be what's true really for many of us when we gather this morning right here, that we come Together, we're all seated in the same room, we're all people here together, and we're all hungry, but that hunger represents maybe a thousand different things that we are feeding ourselves on, even today. What are you feeding yourself on? What are the things that drive you in the dark of night? Those things that keep you up? Those things that make your soul restless? The thing... Drives you to the refrigerator time and time again when you're not really hungry. The thing that drives you to the internet time and time again in the dead of night. Uh, The thing that drives you whenever you're in the company of other people just to babble inanely because you feel like you have to fill the void. What are the things going on that you are hungry for? What are you looking for? And how are you trying to fill those needs? This crowd reminds us that we are all people who are very hungry. And the second thing we see about our hunger here is that our hunger has us right in its hand. And you know what that's like even when you're, when you're physically hungry. Uh, you, 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 get, you get hungrier hungrier until finally it drives you to do something about that, to actually get up and make a meal for yourself. Uh, I mean, I remember this was my dilemma before I was married, and if you're a single guy, you know what this is like. There's, you have this desire for food, but it is so much effort to obtain it. Finally, you come to this tipping point in which you are so hungry, you're willing to actually engage your whole body to obtain food. And then maybe again, single guy. Uh, not, of course, speaking from experience, you go to the, you, you go to the cabinets and they're empty. And that, then you have to go to the store. But sooner or later, something's going to propel you to actually go get that food and make something. Because when hunger grabs you, it has you. And whatever hunger you have today and whatever hunger you bring into this room this morning, it has you as well. And it will drive you to do whatever it takes to fill that void, to fill that hunger. If you come in this morning and you are hungry for the approval of other people, you will go to extraordinary, exhausting lengths lengths to obtain that, to win the approval you so desperately want. If you come and you're a William & Mary student and you are driven and hungry for academic success because it is what has always validated your existence and you're the valedictorian of your high school class, and you come here and you're surrounded by valedictorians, and it's shaking you to the core, then you're going to spend an unbelievable amount of time and energy doing all that you can to study, to hold on to your academic success, because you are hungry, and your hunger has you. And our hungers always do. And the way he says this to the people that come looking for him, verse 27 He says, do not labor for the food that perishes. Because he looks at these people that are coming after him, and he knows that there are people consumed with labor, consumed with the sheer effort it takes to meet and try to fill their hunger. They are driven, and Jesus knows it, and he says, do not labor for this food that will not fill and will not satisfy. We're willing to do a lot to fill our hunger. And oftentimes we're willing to come to God and do a lot to fill that hunger as well. Have you ever noticed that we tend often to make God a servant to our hunger? God, I'm just coming to ask you just this one thing. If you will just come through for me here, if you will just give me this, if you will just make this work out the way I want it to, then finally my soul will be at rest and I will know that you love me. We can easily baptize our hungers and make them look spiritual, the way these people do it. Verses thirty and thirty-one. You know, Jesus is speaking to them about bread, and these, uh, ironically, these people have just been fed miraculously by Jesus the day before. They say, "Look, you know, out in the desert, uh, God fed. You know, God used Moses to feed the people of Israel for forty years with manna, this bread from heaven. What have you got, Jesus? What sign are you going to perform? What power are you going to show us? How are you?" Going to feed us. Jesus, how can we get you on board with our agenda? Because they were hungry and we were hungry people. And they came thinking they needed a meal, and Jesus flips the conversation around on them because he wants them to know that they are hungry for so much more. And they don't even see it. How do you know when you tend to make God a servant to your hunger? Have you found when those things you so desperately want, what happens when they are threatened? when you don't get them, you get angry, not just disappointed, but angry. What happens when you get to the point where you say, "I, I am angry at God because he did not come through for me, because he did not fill my hunger the way I wanted him to, in the way that I demanded that he would. So the first thing we see here is hungry people, and we are hungry people. But the other thing that we see in this passage is we see the meal that we actually need because Jesus goes on to tell them that this hunger that you have is not the most fundamental reality about you, that there is a hunger underneath the hunger, that there is something deeper than these other things you think you need to fill you. They are are signposts pointing to an even greater need that you have. Look back with me in verse 27. Again, Jesus said, do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. He says, you think you need bread. And you are right, you are hungry, but you need something more desperately than you need another meal from me at my hand. There is something more fundamental that you need. And he goes on to show them that they are people desperately, as we are, in need of Jesus. And he says, this hunger that you feel is really just rumblings of a deeper hunger at the core of your being for a relationship made right with God and that only comes through me. He says, you think you want bread, but what you need is me. I'm going to steal a quote that John used in Sunday school this morning. It was from G.K. Chesterton. and He said, every time a man goes and, and knocks on a brothel door, he is looking for God because there is a hunger that runs more deeply than our hungers. There's something at the core of our being. When we are hungry, we are really crying out and saying, I am not satisfied. And I was made for more than this. What is going to fill this? And Jesus comes and says, I am the meal that you so desperately need. Verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never and he goes on to say, if you're going to have me, if you're going to take in this bread, then you must eat my flesh. And this scandalizes everybody who's listening. What in the world is he talking about? And it sounds repugnant to us. And he, rather than doing what he could do at this point and say, let me break it down for you and explain this metaphor. He, instead, he makes it worse. And he goes deeper with it. He says, you know, you're, you're, you're offended by this, but I'm going to tell you, no one is going to live unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. That is the only way you will ever find life. Jesus was standing right there in their face, as loudly as he possibly could and as dramatically as he possibly could, saying, there is a hunger and a thirst in your soul that cannot be met outside of me. And somehow, the only way that's going to be met is by you taking me in. Somebody reminded me after the first service, they just commented on what in what in, in, one way is what, what, what in intimate thing eating is. You take something into your body and it literally becomes part of you. Jesus is right there face to face with them saying, you need a connection with me that is that close, that is that intimate. And they don't know what to make of it. Now he is clearly using this as a metaphor. Look at the way he says the same truth in different words in, in verse 40. He says, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Okay, this is what Jesus is driving at, that only by being united with me in faith, a union with me that is closer even than the food that you take in, he says, only through that are you going to be fed. Only through that are you going to find life. What he's saying is what you are really hungry for is eternal life, and only I can give it to you. Okay, now when we hear the term eternal life, uh, maybe wrong things are going off in our head. It's really easy to sort of think of this vague picture of some sort of unending existence where there's lots of light and music from harps and, you know, something that happens to us maybe after we die. Well, listen to the way that Jesus defines eternal life later in the book of john this comes from john chapter 17 verse 3 he says this is eternal life that they know you the only true god and jesus christ whom you have sent he said this is eternal life that you might be in right relationship with god that only comes through christ so in other words he's saying to his people when you step into relationship with me you step at that very same moment into eternal life even then and yes, it's unending. And yes, it's unbroken by death. But it begins right now with relationship made right. That even now for you, as you put your faith in Christ, you are brought into the intimate, most intimate, closest relationship with, with our God that is possible. And it's so far beyond what you might even imagine, he says. Come to me that you might have eternal life. It points us to a relationship with Jesus. Now... If, like me, you grew up with what in some ways is is a certain spiritual handicap, which is that you actually grew up Presbyterian, which I did. Uh, And I'm very thankful for it, don't get me wrong. But uh, everybody has their own places they struggle. And if you grew up Presbyterian, here's probably yours. It is so easy for us to think that Christianity is encompassed by uh, a set of specific doctrines to which we give intellectual assent. Or it is, uh, you know, the the whole whole substance of of our faith is certain formal acts of worship, and essentially, at the end of the day, believing the right thing. That Christianity is about what happens in my head. Do you ever get that feeling? Now, it absolutely matters what we believe, and of course, you're going to have to trust me on this. I'm a Presbyterian minister. Of course, I do think. Good and solid doctrine is vitally important. Of course we must have that. But what we forget often is that Jesus points us not simply to a list of truisms about who He is, but He points us to Himself. That we're brought into relationship not with an abstract set of principles, but with a person, with Jesus Himself. That we are brought into close, intimate relationship with God. What is rightly called a personal relationship. And truthfully, many of us need much more of a taste of that. Not just Jesus, the one who makes good logical sense to us, but Jesus, the one on whom we feed, the one on whom uh, we lean, the one with whom we are in relationship, closer even than the food that we take in. So we've got good news for all of us who struggle with this. God is not an idea that exists in your head. He is the creator of all, and he calls us into relationship with Jesus. He is a person who invites you in. And that's true the very first time you step into relationship with Jesus, and it is true every day after that as well. John Calvin commented on this passage. He said, life can be found nowhere apart from Christ. And that message comes out to those of us even who have been following Jesus for years. Life can be found nowhere apart from Christ. Your hungers can be filled nowhere apart from Christ. Where do you see and feel and know that hunger even now? Even if you've been walking with Jesus for decades, where do you see where do you need to see Jesus show up in your life right now? Where is the ache? Where's the hunger that you're desperately and frantically trying to fill other places? And will we be reminded again today that Jesus says, Come to me. I am the bread of life. I am the only food that is going to sustain you. You are chasing life in a million different places. You will only find it here. Come home. When we come together to the Lord's Supper... It is Christ on whom we feed. This same Jesus who said, I am the bread of life, and you must eat my flesh and you must drink my blood is the same Jesus that we proclaim when we come to the Lord's table where on the night that he was betrayed, he celebrated this last meal with his closest followers. He broke the bread and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He took the cup and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant which is for you. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. He said, when you come to this meal, you come to me. When you come to this meal, you come and remember again that all of your hunger is met only here. And when we come and share this meal together every month, We declare again to ourselves and to each other and to the world around us that in spite of all the other messages we get, this is our meal. This is where we are fed, on Jesus himself. This is the Jesus we find when we come and take these elements. This is the Jesus we find when we come on our own to the pages of Scripture and open them up. This is the Jesus that we find in the dark nights in the middle of our week when we are crying out desperately to him, We feed on Him. And He has come to give us life. And so when we come to this table, we come to have this feast. This is a banquet table. When I was a kid, taking communion, it was hard to see past just the little bits of bread that got passed around, the little shot of grape juice that came, because I didn't realize what I was really being brought to. And I didn't realize that Jesus himself comes to us and is even spiritually present in this meal. This is real food for us. When we take this meal together, we together collectively look back to what Jesus has done for us on the cross, his death, his resurrection on our behalf. And we see Christ, even as he is now, seated at the right hand of the Father. We remember what our life is based on, Jesus given for us and we also look forward because as jesus said as he celebrated this last supper he reminded his disciples that there is another meal coming jesus said i am coming back and one day i will have this meal with you in all its fullness when all is fully and finally made right we are looking ahead to the fact that our savior and lord our bread from heaven is returning and he gave us this meal All all that time in between as we, week in, week out, in this service month in, month out, as we come back to this table to look back, to look ahead, and to know the grace of Jesus even now. Because as we as Christians come in faith, looking to Jesus, somehow, mysteriously, He nourishes us. He feeds us. This is real spiritual food for actual needy people like us. We come to this table that we might be fed by Jesus. And if you're like me, you know what it's like when you're invited by somebody to a meal, call you up, they ask you to come over for dinner, and your, your first response, I've learned over time, the socially acceptable first response is, what can I bring, right? Uh, and, and maybe they maybe tell you to bring dessert, or maybe they just say, don't bring a thing, just come, just come and share dinner with us. And so you hang up, and what do you do on the way over to that meal, Well, you stop at the store and you buy either flowers or a bottle of wine because you can't come empty-handed, right? Uh, And if you come over to my house for dinner, either one of those is fine. You can bring them with you. That's all right. (laughs) But at this meal, at this meal, we come empty-handed, when you sit there in the pew and the plate is passed to you and and you take that and you take the piece of bread, your hands are empty. You bring nothing here. In fact, that's exactly the point that we saw in our call to worship, which maybe we'll hear with new ears now. Remember this from Isaiah 55. Listen to this again in the light of the Lord's Supper. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come by wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, come to me, hear that your soul may live. And That is what we come to this table looking for. Jesus, the only one who can meet us in our hunger and our thirst, the only one who can meet our deepest needs, and Jesus shows up here at this table for us, his people, and he promises to do that, he does it in most uh, in, in the strongest terms if you 're to look back at verses thirty eight through forty, it talks about the fact that Only those the Father draws to him will will come to Jesus. But he says, those that the Father gives to me, I will never drive out. I will never cast away. I will never turn my people away from me. When they come to me, they are safe and they are secure. And I will feed them. If you are someone who's put your faith in Jesus, you can come to this table this morning knowing that Jesus meets you here. You are His, and He has promised never to cast you out. And so we come as humble, broken, repentant sinners to this table, coming again in this very visceral, tangible way to be reminded of the grace and love of Christ that are at work in our lives right now and to be fed. It's what happens when we open our Bibles and we read and when we pray, when you hear the preaching of the Word. But isn't it amazing what a great gift that not only do we take this in audibly, but Christ comes and invites us to taste of that grace through bread and through the cup because he reminds us that he is our food. And it is food that gives life and satisfies. Amen. So we come this morning to the best possible application of the sermon, that we would come and take this supper together even this morning. And we come this morning not simply as a diverse and scattered group of people who happen to meet in the same food court, but as God's people gathered together, coming together to eat one food together, to have our hunger met and satisfied in this one place. So we're reminded ourselves and we remind each other that this is life. And this, and only here, is where we are truly and ultimately fed, because here we find Jesus. This supper is rightly called the Lord's Supper, and not the supper or the table of the Presbyterian Church or our individual church. This is for God's people, those who have come into relationship with Him and been brought into a relationship with with a local expression of Christ's church. And so if that's true for you, then you are welcome at this table. And let me say, if that's not true of you, if you're not someone who's come to faith in Jesus, we are, we're really thankful that you're here. We want you to feel welcome. We want you to come in and take part in what we do. But I have to tell you, this meal is not for you yet. But I would point you instead to the Jesus this meal represents. That you would come to faith in Him. And at the right time, come and share this table and this meal with us. 1 Corinthians 11, part of which we'll read in a minute, Paul warns the church, and he says not to come to this table uh, without examining yourself. So it's important for even for us even as Christians as we come to this table, if there is sin that's going on in your life that you know about, you see it, you're unwilling to turn, and you're unwilling to repent, then I would tell you that, that the gospel... Calls you to turn around and repent. And if you're not willing to do that, don't come to this table yet. But with the utmost seriousness, stop turning away from Jesus. Now, that said, Jesus really does open his arms wide at this table because he says, This is for broken, struggling sinners who are looking to me for their forgiveness, for their salvation. For those of us like me who have fallen on your face time and again this week, but we know that our only hope is in Jesus. That though we go and we have fed ourselves at a thousand banquet tables this week alone, that we come back again in repentance and say, Jesus, this is the only place where I'm going to be fed. Forgive me. Welcome me home. My salvation is only in you. This table is offered to us. Your Savior opens His arm wide and invites you to come, and to come with joy. The words of institution come from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul speaks of the Last Supper, and he says, For I pass on to you what was given to me, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, after he'd given thanks, he broke bread. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he also took the cup. He said, this cup is a cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it. Because as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray together. Father, we come at your invitation and your command to this meal. And we thank you for the gift of salvation you've given us through the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. And so we set aside these elements now, following you in order to, uh, in order to celebrate this sacrament together. Lord, would you hold before our eyes again the beauty and the sufficiency of Christ. And Lord, even as we are aware of the weight of our sins, remind us again that You have cut those free from us in Jesus. That You have taken us from the kingdom of death into the kingdom of life. That You have brought us life in Jesus. And so we say again in faith, this is the meal for us. Would You strengthen those, even in this room today, who are weary and flagging and who are discouraged and who have had so few tastes of You this week, this month, even this year. Would you uphold our fainting spirits? Would you breathe new life into us? For those of us this week who even even this week have seen the joy and the goodness of following you, would you continue uh, to show us your life and help us as we gladly and with celebration take this meal? But Lord, we as your people come, each and every one of us, needing this food. And so we look to you to feed us as we look to you in faith.